All right. At this time, I'd like to go ahead and dismiss the children to Children's Church. If y'all could follow Miss Sarah right back over there, that'd be fantastic. Uh, it is great seeing you this morning. I, uh, I think that most of us understand that last week we did start this new series, very short two-part series on the Holy Spirit at 10th and Main. And uh, what we've been attempting to do is just go through the book of Acts in two messages which sounds uh, kind of crazy, but I wanted us to have basically uh, a 5,000-foot view of the book of Acts because whenever we are trying to discern here at Main Street whether or not the Holy Spirit is involved, we need to have an appropriate context, and the appropriate context is the book of Acts because that's where the Holy Spirit gave birth to the church. That's where the Holy Spirit was most obviously leading the church and empowering the church. And so I think it's just a helpful exercise to remind us of some basic overarching truths that come from that from that particular book. And last week as we began this series, uh, we, we saw at least three activities, three workings of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when the Holy Spirit is involved, here, here's what you see. Number one, the Holy Spirit, and I, I just want to warn you here, we don't have things on the, the screen. I, I'm just kind of curious, do we have any people here who were worshiping the Lord back before PowerPoint and ProPresenter were invented? Okay, how many, how many of y'all remember the overheads, you know, when people would do that, okay? How many of you remember the time before overheads? All right. How many of you remember the time before electricity was invented? Okay, we're, we're going to go back to the time before electricity was invented and, uh, and people just like came and listened, okay? Uh, and so if you want to take notes, please, please, please feel free to take notes. And the reason why we don't have the things on the overhead is, uh, you know, this last week was super busy. Of course, it was a short week because of the holiday season. And then I got food poisoning midweek, uh, which kind of sort of, it, you know, is this okay? I think it was from Chipotle, and I'm not dogging on them because I think they're fantastic, but there is an upside to having preservatives in food, uh, as I've discovered. Anyways, uh, so here, here we are. It's not Sarah's fault, uh, but it's not mine. So I guess it is yours. Uh, anyways... <laughs> Uh, so it's not on the overheads. Sorry, sorry, sorry that that's not there. But let me just kind of remind you of some of the points last week. Number one, what, what you see in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit is responsible for bringing people into a new relationship, okay? The, the, the Father is the one who is the architect of salvation. Jesus is the one who is the achiever of salvation. But the Holy Spirit is the one who is the applier of the salvation. And we see that very clearly in the book of Acts, that he's the one who closes the deal, who is responsible ultimately for people's conversion, brings them into a new relationship with God as their father, Jesus as the big brother, uh, firstborn among many. And so when that new relationship is established, number two, the Holy Spirit also is forming one new body. If we have one in the same head, who is Jesus? If we have one in the same father, then we're all members of one in the same body. And, and we see in the book of Acts that there, there's, there are these multiple occasions or opportunities where the Holy Spirit could have said, here's the Jewish church over here, and here's the Gentile church over here, and here's the Samaritan church over here, and here's man church over here, and here's woman church over here, and here's the, you know, the Scythian church over here, and the barbarian church over here, and here's the Gentile church over here. But, but that never happened. The Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is very clear to communicate not only to outsiders, but people who are insiders, that we just have one church, that we all have the same Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit forms one new body. The third thing that we see here is that the Holy Spirit is responsible for the transformation of our character. And the way that that manifests itself in the most clear way in the book of Acts is that people within the body of Christ are sacrificially available to other people who are in the body of Christ. That is to say, people yield even their own physical resources 
for the benefit of others. And that happens not just within one local body. That happens between uh, bodies. And, and here, here's what I mean. Some of us, we recognize that later on the Apostle Paul has this ministry. He's going from, from town to town and he's ministering the gospel. And along the way, and this isn't recorded in the book of Acts really clearly, but along the way he is constantly taking uh, money from other churches. He's taking these offerings so that the offering will go back to the church of Jerusalem because, one, they're being persecuted, and two, there's this great famine. And so other churches are giving to that, to that church in particular because of the extreme need. But that happens even before Paul is going on his missionary journeys when the Apostle Paul is in Antioch. Uh, and you see this uh, pretty clearly. I think this is as early as, as Acts uh, chapter uh, 13, I could be mistaken, but we do have this in the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul is gathering, maybe it's Acts chapter 16, he's gathering money from the uh, church in Antioch for the benefit of the church down in Jerusalem. And, and you see this sort of sacrifice where people are sharing all of their things in, in common because there's this recognition that we have all become members of one and the same body. And so you can notice distinctions. There's the church in Ephesus and there's the church in in Antioch, and there's the church in Philippi, and there's the church down in Jerusalem, but it's still all one church. It's like with the body physically, I have a right hand, I have a left hand. They're different members, but they're members of one and the same body. And so if this hand is hurting, like, I don't know, let's say a knife goes through it, I'm going to take this hand and pull it out. Or if it's wounded, I'm going to put some salve on it. There's going to be a defense of this hand because even though we know, you know, yeah, on the surface of things, they're different members. They're members of one and the same body. And so... So the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit does His job, there is this mutual submission out of, uh, toward one another out of reverence for Christ. It's, an, it's a complete character transformation where people are not thinking of their own interests, but they're also looking to the interests of other people. And that happens not just within a marriage, and that just happens not just within a family or even a, a local family. That happens between congregations. That's you know, we don't see, you know, the International Mission Board or... Mary Hill Davis or, you know, Annie Armstrong or any of these things mentioned in the book of Acts. But these are very common concepts that find their roots in the book of Acts. Because when we give to international missions or Texas missions or local missions or, you know, stateside missions, what we're doing, in effect, is sharing our resources with other churches for a common good. This is a Holy Spirit thing. This isn't just a Baptist thing. This is a Holy Spirit thing when congregations serve other congregations in a common way. So those are the three things that we see. The Holy Spirit brings people into a new relationship. Obviously, they come into one and the same body. And as members of one and the same body, there is this sacrificial connection between different members and different churches. That's the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to come to number four, if you're writing these things down. What the Holy Spirit does... When he's active in the church, you always see this, there is the inspiration and empowerment of the gospel. The Holy Spirit inspires and empowers the, the message of Jesus Christ to go forth. This is, this is almost, you might even say this is the, the main thing that happens with regards to the Holy Spirit. Jesus is recorded as saying in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I'm going to read this. You know, there's so many different translations. I wish we just stick with one translation, the King James Version. Uh, no, <laughs> it's, you know, that was one, the one I, it's the easiest one to memorize and it's the hardest one to understand. It's amazing how that works out. But this is the Christian standard Bible. You will receive, this is Jesus. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus says, look, the reason I'm sending the Holy Spirit is so you can have this divine assistance to do what it is that I've called you ultimately to do, which is to make disciples of all nations. Uh, and, and we see this communicated almost in every chapter in the book of Acts, this idea that when the Holy Spirit comes on someone, they bear witness. In Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, there's this interesting literary device of sorts. It's, it's kind of subtle, but it's definitely there. In Acts chapter 1, it talks about on the day that Jesus ascended, on the day that, that Jesus ascended, he went up into heaven. He went up into heaven. Then you get into Acts chapter 2, and it's like on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down. The Holy Spirit came down from heaven. In, in other words, when Jesus goes up, he sends the Holy Spirit in his place so that Jesus' promise to the disciples would not be in vain. And his promise was, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you the empowerment that you need. I'm, you're, you're not going to be without the divine aid or the assistance that is required in order for you to do what it is that I've called you to do, which is to make disciples of all nations. And so consistently, whenever the Holy Spirit comes, there is the proclamation. And everybody's involved in this. Let, let me take you back to Acts chapter 2, the, the great sermon of, of Peter. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, Peter is quoting from Joel chapter 2, verse 28, and if you're reading through this pretty quickly, you may miss a little bit here, but he sort of combines Isaiah chapter 2 and, and, and uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 28, and he says this, uh, and it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. And when he adds they will prophesy, there's an emphasis there like they all are going to prophesy. I don't know if you got this or not, but all men, all women, all boys, all girls, doesn't matter the age, doesn't matter the gender, doesn't matter your economic status. If you're, if you're only servants, it doesn't matter. All are going to receive my spirit. And guess what? All are going to prophesy. They're all going to foretell. There's, everybody's going to be involved in the communication of the gospel. And we see that that actually happens at Pentecost when these cloven tongues come down, you know, and, and rest on the people and the others who are there supernaturally hear them proclaiming and prophesying in their own languages. Which, by the way, let me just kind of mention this uh, real briefly. I think this is, you know, an extraordinary gift, the gift of tongues here in, in Acts chapter 2. Some people have said it's different than what you get over in First Corinthians. I don't really go in there. But, but let's just talk about this for a second. Some people have read it like it's a supernatural ability to proclaim in a previously unlearned language, and others have said, no, what happened is God gave the other people supernatural ability to understand. So the miracle wasn't just in the speaking, the miracle was in the understanding. I want to give you a third option, and this is kind of weird, but, you know, it's the Holy Spirit, it's a miracle. That's, you know, what these things are. They're kind of weird. I think the best interpretation here when it talks about cloven tongues or divided tongues is is that when people were speaking in tongues, they were actually, and this just sounds crazy, but it, it, I think they were really speaking in multiple languages at the same time. You say, well, that just doesn't even make sense. Well, none of this makes sense. But they, it says that they heard them, like all of them, speaking in their own language. Well, how is that possible? Well, they spoke with cloven tongues. 
They weren't just speaking English or Spanish or French. They were speaking all of those and others at the same time. That's why everybody heard them speaking in their own languages. It was like a supernatural miracle so that when you're speaking by the Holy Spirit, everybody within the hearing was understanding what it was that was being communicated. That's how interested God was in the gospel going forth so that everybody was was understood because everybody was speaking and they were all speaking by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may say, I don't know that I agree with that exactly in that term. That's okay. It's just kind of a, a minor deal. But obviously, the climactic act of the Holy Spirit is the proclamation of the gospel. And so in Acts chapter 2, it's Peter's sermon. That's the crowning moment of the whole deal. And so when you're reading through the book of Acts, you're going to see consistently the Holy Spirit comes and they speak. The Holy Spirit comes, they speak. Holy Spirit comes... They proclaim. They get filled with the Holy Spirit and everybody speaks. And it's not just the prophets and the priests and the kings. It's everybody doing this. For example, let me take you over to Acts chapter 8, verse 4. In Acts chapter 8, the first few verses, you've got Saul, who later became known as Paul, who's persecuting the church. Now, why is Saul persecuting the church? Well, obviously, he hates Christians. He thinks they're, you know, opposed to the will of God. He, He thinks he's doing right. But when you look at it, even from the 5,000 or 20,000 foot standpoint, the reason the persecution is happening is because the Jews have been hanging out there in Jerusalem and these Christians have not been taking the gospel to the other ends of the earth. And you see that God actually allows persecution to happen because God is so intent on his people getting out and proclaiming the message that he will allow pain to be introduced in their lives in order for them to become obedient. Nothing happens outside of the providential oversight and care of God. He is so concerned that other people here, he is willing for those he loves and and those for whom he died to have some pain in their life so that they will go out and spread the gospel. And so these people are kind of scattered from Jerusalem because of the persecution that comes. And here's the response. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. There was none of this, hey, I'm not a pastor, I don't do this. Or I'm not an evangelist, I don't do this. Everybody who was a believer was scattered and they were all preaching the word. Now there's all kinds of interesting implications of this for for you and, and for me. One is some people, some denominations, some inclinations have this mistaken impression that the Holy Spirit is limited to a select few people. And what the Bible teaches here is if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is always going to be involved in some respect or another with regards to you proclaiming the gospel, in particular, if you're looking for the particulars, in particular when it comes to those who are not yet included or initiated into the body. Uh, Now, some of us, I think we have the gift of preaching, we have the gift of teaching, we have maybe the gift of communication, and we come together in a church and we say, well, that guy's a gifted teacher, he's a gifted preacher, he's a gifted communicator, and all the rest, but... But what we're talking about here in particular in terms of everybody's involvement is everybody under the Holy Spirit is supposed to be and is empowered to actually be communicating the gospel in particular to those who are not believers. And and I want to let you know that I already know that when it comes to who's most effective in communicating to your friends, to your family, to your coworkers, it's not me. It's you. They've done tons and tons of studies on this. That, you know, when, when, you know, when I come over and I see your neighbor or your family member, well, like, you know, I'm the hired guy. It's my job to tell people these things. People are not nearly as responsive to me talking to them about Jesus as they are responsive to you talking about Jesus 
because you know them, they know you, there's a relationship there. You are, even if you say, well, I just don't really do this very well, I'm just not really good at that, or I'm not a good communicator. You are more effective in spreading the gospel to your circle of concern than I am. It's the truth. You want your friends, you want your family members to hear about Jesus? Don't tell them to tune in to me. No offense to me intended. Don't tell them to tune in to your favorite TV preacher or podcaster. God gave them you. The Holy Spirit empowers you. Now, again and again and again, what you see in the the scriptures in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit comes, they're filled and they speak. They're filled and they speak. They get baptized and they speak. And you might be saying, well, no, wait a second. If I've been given the Holy Spirit, if I am a Christian, I have the Holy Spirit, why am I not speaking? Well, here, here's a suggestion. And I'm not, I'm not condemning because I really am in the same boat as everybody else here. I really, really am. But if you kind of notice in your own life, I just don't feel like, I don't feel the power. I don't, I don't feel, you know, energized by the Holy Spirit. I, you know, I guess I have the Holy Spirit, but I'm not experiencing the same things that they were in the book of Acts. Here's a couple of suggestions as to why that might be the case. One possibility is you've become kind of accustomed to quenching the Holy Spirit or saying no to the Holy Spirit or resisting the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That's one possibility. The other possibility is you're in the wrong place. And and here's what I mean. If you are, and I don't know that all of you read the little email that I sent out, I would suggest that you read it. If you had not read it already, read it later. If you are in the settlement... If you are in the boundaries of the fortress, you're not going to feel the power as much as when you are on the frontier as a pioneer in dangerous places. Okay, let me put it to you like this. There are occasions, and maybe some of you have had these experiences, where you've taken a risk. I've had people say, hey, I'm going to go to this family reunion, and I need to tell my brother, but I'm just scared to death of how he's going to respond and all the rest. And, And then you get in this dangerous situation, whether it's, at your job or with this loved one, and then you take a risk, and but you took the risk, and in that moment when you were taking the risk or you were in a dangerous position, that's when you felt the Holy Spirit giving you the words. You know why? Because you were in a position where you needed the Holy Spirit. Because you were in a position where you had to depend upon the Holy Spirit. You were in a difficult, dangerous situation. And that's when you sensed His power and His presence because you weren't behind the boundaries of the fortress or within the confines of the settlement. You were on the frontier and the pioneer, and, and that's when you needed the Holy Spirit. It's not like He wasn't there. It's just that He wasn't needed when you're on the settlement. We, we have this weird idea with regards to the Holy Spirit. If I, if I talk to most people about spirituality, their idea of spirituality is this. I'm just going to be, I'm going to be spiritual, and I'm going to sit on my mat, under the shade, on the grass, with my legs crossed, doing this, seeking inner peace and tranquility. And I need the Holy Spirit to just, like, make me feel good. I want to tell you, that's not really the Holy Spirit that you find in the book of Acts. What you find in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit empowering people because they're not sitting on a mat, in the shade, on the grass, doing nothing. You want to to sense the Holy Spirit at work in your life? Put yourself in a difficult, dangerous position for Jesus. And and, and then you will know the power of the Spirit. Let me give you an an illustration. And I I know, how many of y'all know that I have a Jeep? 
Okay, I, didn't, I don't know if I've ever noticed that, if I've ever said that before. Uh, but I'm going to tell you the truth. My Jeep is not as good as Eric Dorothy's Jeep. It's true. I've got Jeep Indy, but that's okay. That's my, that's my sin. I just confessed it to you. I'm, I'm good. Uh, it, it, what's that? I'm not, not nearly as good. Not as good as Marty. It's not as good as a lot of y'all's. Anyways, good grief. Somebody want to give me some extra money for bigger tires. I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> anyways, look, I, I love, listen, I love my Jeep. I really do. But my Jeep, in terms of you know, like driving down on the asphalt on a street, it's terrible. It's, it's not a great vehicle. The seat is hard. The technology is like 10 years behind everything else. It's kind of a hard ride. The wind noise is terrible going down the highway. In fact, I would say on a street, a smart car is probably better than my Jeep. Now, in a smart car, I can't look down on other vehicles. That's the one thing. But really, you know, a Jeep is way, way overrated for just driving down the street. But Jeeps are not made for streets. They're made for where Eric takes them. You know, down to Marble Falls, driving over rocks and getting potentially stuck in mud and maybe falling over. Only when you get off the road do you feel the power. If you want to feel the power of the Holy Spirit, get off the road. Get off the sidewalk. Get off the pavement. Get on the, get on the frontier. That's why people were sensing the Holy Spirit. It's like, I don't know that I have the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you've been born again, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within you. you say, well, I just don't really sense His presence. It might be because you're in the safety zone. You're driving down the street. That might be the problem. Really. Don't doubt the Holy Spirit is with you. Just put yourself in a more dangerous position. And it's exhilarating. Why do, why do we like watching football, whether it's high school football or college football or professional football? Here's why I like it. Everybody out there on the field is going full speed. They're, they're using all their strength, all their speed, all their power. It's exciting to see two people going head on and as hard as they can. You get in the excitement zone, you go full speed, that's when the Holy Spirit shows up. But you know, if you're just like, you know, driving 20 miles an hour on your, in your Jeep through, a, you know, a school zone behind a smart car that you know you could drive over, but it would be illegal. <laughs> it's not exciting. But the power is there. You just don't feel it because you're not using it because you're in the wrong place. You're in a school zone going 20 miles an hour. God gave us the Holy Spirit to help us in our proclamation. Okay. Whenever the Holy Spirit is showing up in power, that's what happens. You get filled with the Spirit, you speak. You get filled with the Spirit, you speak. Okay. So if you're not speaking, put yourself in a better position. Really. I think that's part of the, part of the plan. Okay. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit, first of all, introduces us into a new relationship with God. He forms a whole new people. He creates a transformation in a character where we truly are others-oriented, not just individually, but congregation to congregation, church to church. And then, of course, there's always the, the, the bottom line is the inspiration and empowerment of, of witness. There's another thing, one more thing, a fifth thing that happens with regards to the Holy Spirit, and that is the Holy Spirit directs mission. The Holy, God doesn't just send us the Holy Spirit and say, okay, Best of luck. Hope it works out. Get out there. You know, we'll see what happens. No, the Holy Spirit is actually uh, a guide. The Holy Spirit is present. God is in the details. I love this. Uh, you, you know, used to say the devil's in the details. That's actually terrible. God's in the details. That's from Hugh Brown. I give him credit for that. But it, it's not in the Bible, but it ought to be. 
Uh, the Holy Spirit is, in the details, the Holy Spirit is directing and guiding steps in mission. And you see this in multiple places. You see this over in Acts chapter 20 when it talks about the Holy Spirit setting aside elders or leaders within the church. I think it's important to recognize that people have different callings, different directions, and, and that they're operating under the specific direction of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes around churches people say, you know, we just need more leaders and we need to have a leadership development class or they need to go to seminary and all the rest. And I'm not, I don't want to downplay education and training, but nothing replaces Holy Spirit calling. I was um, visiting with John Duncan, who was the pastor at First Baptist Church several years ago, and, and he, he's been away from there for nine years, but he's now in um, um, Horseshoe Bay, which is the ultimate settlement, I mean, really. And so I went to go see him, and uh, it was a great visit. But he used to, one of the things I thought was really interesting is he said he taught at Truett Seminary for a while, and he said he might have 30 students over, you know, four different classes, and of the 30 students, there might be one, maybe two students who were actually called to ministry. The vast majority of people in the seminary were, weren't even interested in their called to ministry. I said, like, really? He said, yeah, that, that seminary is more like trying to be Duke Divinity Part 2 or, you know, Harvard Divinity School. And it's not really for, for pastors. And I thought that was so strange to me because when I went to Southwestern Seminary, in order to get into the seminary, you had to give evidence of calling. And it's the people who have the strength of calling that stay. If you just get into the ministry and say, oh, I'm just, you know, I think it's a good career. I like reading the Bible and I like hanging out with people. You, you never stay. It all comes down to the specific callings on people's life. Sometimes people are called to specific tasks. Sometimes churches are called to do specific things that seem to be um, self-harming even. Like, this isn't going to be good for us. Let me give you an example of this. This is over in Acts chapter 13. I think this is really kind of fascinating. In Acts 13, verses 2 through 4, it talks about the Lord setting apart Barnabas and Paul for ministry. Let me just read this to you. As they were worshiping, and this is in Antioch where the Christians were first called Christians. It's, a, it's in modern-day Turkey. As they, they, these Antiochians, were worshiping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they have prayed, fasted, prayed, and laid hands, then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Okay, so you've got... Paul and Barnabas here being sent out from Antioch by the Holy Spirit. Now, you say, well, why is that a big deal? These were the two major players, the two major leaders in all of Turkey. Okay, they were the, they were the big dogs, the big shots in Antioch. Now, I think a lot of times when we think about Paul and Barnabas, we think, okay, Paul was Batman and Barnabas was kind of like Robin. You know, Robin's the plucky sidekick, the guy who says, oh, Batman, you're so holy, holy guacamole, Batman. That was an amazing, you're so, you punched him so hard. Or that was, an, you, you solved the mystery. You're so amazing. You know, that kind of thing. He's just there for comic relief or just to glorify Batman. No. Barnabas was not Robin. Originally, originally Barnabas was Batman. Okay. Barnabas was the leader of the church. He was the major pastor teacher. Paul was basically under Barnabas' authority early on. And, of course, Paul himself is this major theological player. He's got a double Ph.D. in Judaism studies, and 
he gets basically converted in a massively significant way, and he's already an evangelist to the Gentiles. And so when it comes to the church in Antioch, there were not any people more important than Paul and Barnabas. It wasn't Batman and Robin. It was like Batman and Iron Man, and you can choose which one you think is best. But they were studs. And the church says, we're sending you off. Like, what? How, what happened to Antioch? when the, the two major player pastors took off. Well, the church did great. If you know anything about Antioch, in the subsequent centuries, uh, subsequent dec- decades and centuries, Antioch was one of the top three major Christian centers in early Christianity. Within the first century, it was basically Alexandria, Rome, and Antioch. And that continued for the next few centuries, so that when you get to the middle of the fifth century, you've got basically Jerusalem and Constantinople, but still Rome and Antioch along with Alexandria. They prospered. You, you can't outgive God. You say, well, they, they sacrificed. They made tremendous sacrifice, and they made tremendous sacrifice for what? For church planting. For reaching out to other communities and starting new churches. They were willing to give up their two massive leaders, and the church not only did okay, they prospered. You know what's kind of interesting? If you look around the Southern Baptist Convention and you look at the churches that are most involved in church planting, they are the ones that do the best. It's pretty consistent. When a church has a kingdom mindset and they're willing to sacrificially support other churches, other mission projects, you know what happens? Those churches do well. It's the churches that don't have the kingdom vision, that are not willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others. Those are the ones that kind of plateau and they're dying. I think there's a lot here uh, for us just with regards to the the mindset toward uh, missions and missionaries and church planting and, and pastors and the utilization of resources. I'm kind of curious, anybody here ever hear of missionary barrels? Are you in a church that had missionary barrels or missionary closets? Maybe that kind of went out. Were you really? Okay, I'm so sorry, Paul. You know, I'm going to confess your sin for you, and you didn't even know it. But uh, I'm not saying that you endorsed this. But, you know, there were these things called missionary barrels. How long ago was that? I'm just kind of curious. Uh, Early 90s. Early, Early 90s? I was thinking like the 1950s or something. You know, so these churches had these missionary barrels, and the, the idea is, well, we've got these barrels set out, and when, you're, when your clothes are too ragged, you're tired of them, or they're no longer fashionable, put them in a missionary barrel, and we'll send the leftovers to the missionaries. Now, maybe that's too harsh. Is it? Eh, kind of cl- close-ish. I think that's kind of a little bit embarrassing. Like, we'll give them the leftovers. Antioch didn't do that with Paul and Barnabas. We're just going to give them leftovers. I I was visiting with a a friend several, it was a few months ago, and he talked about how his son was younger and was in ministry. He and his son, his son and his wife went to this church that had a parsonage. A parsonage is just a house that belongs to the church that they let the pastor and his family live in. And the benefit of a parsonage is you can, you can come and you can leave really quickly without strings attached. And so anyways, he's there in this parsonage 
And uh, then he has like a $2,000 salary on top of that. It wasn't a lot. He was skimming by. But anyways, the parsonage was overseen by the Budget and Finance Committee. And one month, the water bill was kind of high. And I am not kidding you. I'm not making this up. The Budget and Finance Committee said to the pastor and his wife, you know, we've noticed your water bill is high. And we have a solution. You don't have to flush every time. That... They didn't stay very long. You know, like, hey, we'll get the leftovers. We'll just, you know, if you could just live like nobody else does, we'll be all okay. When it comes to church planting, when it comes to missions, when it comes to pastors, when it comes to staff, it's like, no, no, we don't want to just give the leftovers. You know why? Because we've just got one body and we've got a kingdom mindset and When the Holy Spirit is involved in your life, it's not about you, and it's really not even just about us. It's about His kingdom. Now, sometimes, I want to tell you something else that's kind of interesting about the Holy Spirit's leadership, you know, being in the details and bringing things together. Sometimes, when the Holy Spirit leads, it's not like super magically transparent, okay? I I want to disillusion you of, well, whenever the pastor prays, he has this vision it's like no 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 you know i like everybody just does their best following the holy spirit and sometimes you feel like it's over here and then sometimes you go over here and sometimes you go over here and if that's been your experience with god i want you to to know that's in the book of acts 2 the apostle paul oftentimes would kind of go over here and then it was over here and then he kind of did this and it wasn't always clear. Sometimes you just know with absolute clarity when you're in the rear, looking in the rearview mirror as to what the Holy Spirit was up to. That's just, the, that's just the nature of things. Let me give an example of this. This is over in uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. It says, They went through the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia. So first there's Asia, then Mysia, then they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. So they get to Troas, but during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we, because Luke, who's writing this, was with them, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's Paul. He goes over here. Nope. He goes over here. Nope. He goes over here. No. Hey, close, but no cigar. Hey, we'll go to Troas. Are we there? No, you got to go a little bit further. I want you to notice a few things here. Paul doesn't feel guilty about not going directly from point A to point B. Nobody in his group condemns him for not making a straight line. God doesn't seem to be upset that he didn't just get there immediately. Sometimes you just, okay, Lord, I know I need to do this. It seems like things are trending here. And you go there, and then you bounce off of that, and then you bounce off of this, and you bounce over here, and it's almost like you're in a pinball machine, and eventually you kind of hit the, you know, million-dollar target in the middle. Is the Holy Spirit involved in stuff like that? I would say yes, and let me tell you why. Sometimes you've got to go through things to get prepared, so by the time you get to where it is that God will have you to be, not only are you ready, but the people are ready for you. The Holy Spirit in the in, in Acts chapter 10 gives Peter, and we talked about this last week, gives Peter this vision. 
and Peter rejects the vision. Then the then there's another dream, and he rejects it. Then there's another dream, and by the time the dream comes the third time, the Gentiles have come to his door saying, you've got to come with us over to Cornelius' house. What if Peter had just responded immediately? I, I don't know. The Gentiles wouldn't have been there. Maybe God's not only, not only preparing you, but he's also preparing other people. Maybe other people that are working with you. Maybe other people who are receiving the message. Sometimes you just move forward the best you can, And you trust that the Holy Spirit along the way is either going to redirect or affirm. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how it often happens. It's it's the providential work of God. The the Holy Spirit is compared in the book of John to... Jesus compares the Holy Spirit to a wind. The wind is capricious. The wind blows where it will. You feel the wind, but you don't know where it's blowing. You don't know where it's going to take you. You can't control. There's a, a sovereign providential capriciousness to the Holy Spirit. But I can tell you this, even though you may not always know exactly where it's going, I would say this. Just be the right person. If you're the wrong person in the right place, it's still all wrong. If you're the right person, God's going to make sure you get to the right place. It's not that complicated. So that's the Holy Spirit, okay, in a nutshell. Here's what you see in Acts. He introduces people into a new relationship. They're formed as one body. There is a supportiveness between the believers, even between different bodies, because of the transforming, humbling work of the Holy Spirit. Then you see number four, there is this ultimate proclamation of the gospel. It's all about the gospel going out. And then along the way, you just trust that the Holy Spirit is going to direct the steps because the Holy Spirit is in the details. That's what you see happening. Then you come to the end of the book of Acts. I want to read this to you, and then we're going to be... Just about done. In Acts, I can get over here. I failed Bible drill at college. There we go. Acts chapter 28, verse 30. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's how the book ends, the end. And you just kind of want to flip the page, like, okay, where's Acts chapter 29? And, and the Acts chapter 29 is now. It's here. So what do you mean? Well, what's Acts 29 supposed to look like? I think what Acts 29 looks like is going to be just a continuation of Acts chapter 1 through 28. The Holy Spirit still operates in the same way. The Holy Spirit still has the same agenda. Now, I, again, I said, okay... How does all this stuff apply, giving us context to our situation here? I'm going to elaborate a whole lot more tomorrow at our Monday business meeting at 7 o'clock. And you're all going to be there because the Holy Spirit is not going to let you sleep. There's going to, there's going to be a dream and, and the Holy Spirit says, come on over to 10th and Main at 7 o'clock and you're going to be obedient like Paul. I don't know if that's going to happen. But I, I want you to come back because there are some things that's like, hmm, these things are coming together in a very interesting way. I want to mention just two things on the agenda, kind of the, the, the biggest or the, the things that will be talked about the most. One is uh, our, our staff in particular has been wrestling with just a, a, a modest schedule change. It doesn't really affect anything with regards to the contemporary service, not really. But we are wanting to move the traditional service to 930 because we want it to be more appealing or accessible to people who are outside of the church already, okay? 
There's some implications to that. It's not all positive. There's downsides. There's plus sides. We think the plus side outweighs the downside. We're not voting on anything, but we want to explain some of the implications of that. More importantly, I want you to be here as we talk about one church in particular that that is wanting to use our facility at 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoons in the historic sanctuary. And it's not being used, but it, it's ideal for them. The, the church is a Mayist church, and it's a Baptist church. It's not just like moderately in line with our church doctrinally, very much in line with our church doctrinally, but they're planting a church. And uh, they have, they're wanting to launch in October, and they're, they're on the verge of signing a contract with the Palace Theater. And I told them, before you do that, give us a chance because we could, we could cost half as much. You could have twice the space and we would love for you to be here because at the Palace Theater, they, they have to, they can't be there seven or eight times out of the year, which that really hurts if every sixth Sunday you can't show up and they, and the Palace won't let them advertise the space. Like they can say, they, they can't even advertise that we're meeting at the Palace, which I think is kind of weird. And there's, there's not sufficient place for them with regards to children's ministry. And so Brett met with him, I think, about three weeks ago, and I met him a couple of times. This, his name is Marshall Canales. The church, in case any of you want to look this up in advance, it's High Point Baptist Church in Austin, okay? Marshall Canales is a member of that church. He's actually on staff at that church, and that church has said, we've got people up here. And we'd love to start a church in Georgetown. So we're willing to surrender basically 40 of our members and one of our key staff members in order to plant a church. I think that's a Holy Spirit thing. I think it's fantastic providentially that we're not using that space at 4 o'clock on Sundays. I've talked to Ruthann and Brett and Jonathan and Alan and... Who am I leaving out? Who? Sarah Clausen. And we're all like, yeah, this is great. But you know what? Even if we had to make adjustments, maybe we should. But we don't. And they need a space. And we're one body. And we serve one another. And we're all about the proclamation of the gospel. And God just kind of works all things together for good. To me, it's kind of simple. But I want you to be back Monday night to meet and hear from Marshall and for us to talk through. Now, with regards to the scheduling stuff, we're not going to vote on it tomorrow. There's too much to work through. But we may uh, feel like this is simple enough that we would vote tomorrow. But we can always table things if we need to. That's part of our process. But there are so many other things that God's up to, and I don't have time to share. Again, I just say I think I see kind of where things are trending. But as we move forward into the next few weeks, the next few months, I want you to know... God's up to something, and it is the Holy Spirit. Let's bow for a word of prayer. God, you're good to us. You're good to us all the time, and uh, we, we want your kingdom to prosper. We want to give you our very best. We want to give one another our very best, and we want to appropriately partner for kingdom advance locally, statewide, nationwide, globally for the advance of your kingdom. We thank you for uh, Texas Baptist Missions. We thank you for uh, statewide missions. We thank you for international missions. We thank you for opportunities locally that you give us to be supportive.
Just show us, Lord, what it is that we need to do. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would confirm to us that we are tracking with you step by step. Fill us with your Spirit. Make us bold. Put us in the right place where we have to depend on you always. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand.